thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Thank you, band. That was great. That was wonderful. It's awesome. And thank you, Mark, for sharing your story and uh, your, uh, your glimpse of what God has done in your life. It's very encouraging. It's great to hear. And it's great for our young people also to know that God does speak in many and various ways. Um, if you'd bear with me for a moment, I'll share my uh, most transformative, um, transformative moment of a dream or a vision uh, happened when I was at university. And I was with a group of people, and we were really wrestling with our faith and what it meant to uh, engage with the Holy Spirit and whether or not the Spirit was uh, something that was needed in our lives and the gifts of the Spirit, whether they were applicable to our lives. And uh, as great, you know, um, debates usually happen in those university spaces, we were toing and froing and backwards and forwards um, late at night and... um, over weeks and months, and then I had a vision. And then I had a dream that I still remember as clear as day, um, even today. And it uh, completely changed my approach to receiving what God had for me and for us. Um, And I I had a picture of Jesus who filled up the room. And uh, his words to me were a very strong but kindly rebuke. Have I not given you what you need in this life? And uh, from that moment, I felt uh, free to open myself up to to the work of the Spirit in me, and then later, as I matured in my faith, uh, to the Spirit's work through me. But thank you. That was a great thing to do and reminded me of my story. Will we reject him just as the Samaritan village rejects Jesus? And then in the story, as we continue with Jesus on his road to Jerusalem, will we too be rejected? That seems to be at the heart of Luke's message today. On this journey to Jerusalem, on this way towards the cross, figuring out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. That's the topic in Luke chapter 9. Would you pray with me before I begin? Almighty God, we thank you for your word to us, your word that has made and sustained all things, your word revealed to us in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our Savior, our King. And we pray that your word might come alive in our hearts and through the work of your Spirit animate our very lives that we might bear witness to you. Amen. Security, approval, and attachment. Those are the three things that Jesus puts before those who would call themselves his disciples, who would follow after him. And I want to talk about those three things, security, approval, 
and attachment. This is a fabulous part of Luke's gospel. This is a real turning point, but it holds quite a difficult, challenging message. It's helpful for us, I believe, to see a picture of what the writer is up to in placing these pieces of the jigsaw together just at this time, just to give the shape of a picture, or should we say pictures, because it seems clear that Luke, the physician, is intent on revealing two particular shapes by piecing certain stories together just at this juncture of Jesus' life. On the accounts of this Jesus of Nazareth, he gives us these two images, the shape of Jesus, who is Messiah, the one promised of God, the anointed one, the Savior, not just of Israel, but the Savior of the world. And the second part of the picture, or the second picture that Luke is presenting, is the shape of a disciple, what it means to be faithful, those who walk in Jesus' footsteps. What does their life look like? What's the shape of their life? Now, I find it particularly helpful to understand a little bit of how the different gospel writers in particular, what their main themes are, so that when reading an account of Jesus in Luke and then reading maybe a similar account or a different account of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, or John, I can have in my mind an understanding of what's the author's main point, the main picture that this author is painting of this one Jesus. Not different Jesuses. We don't get four different Jesuses reading the four Gospels. We get one Jesus, but we get these different aspects from the four Gospel writers. Now, for John's Gospel, it's that Jesus is being revealed as the eternal Word of God, present with humanity, to bring life through believing, or particularly as John has, through the unveiling, the opening of our eyes. For Matthew, Matthew's gospel, it's that Jesus is shown to be the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to Israel. The complete picture in Jesus, says Matthew, God wraps everything up from Israel into this one, the one who is here to save Israel. In Mark's gospel, it is that the kingdom of God is breaking through with power. The kingdom is being established through Jesus' works of wonder and power and healing and the miraculous. And we should pay attention to it. So when we consider Luke, we need to understand that, again, as I said earlier, Jesus is being pictured and portrayed as the one who has come to save the whole world. It's why in Luke we've got such a strong emphasis of the Gentiles, of the folks who are not within Israel. We've got lots of examples of where Jesus engages with people who are not in Israel. And some of them accept him, some of them see, some of them receive him, but some of them don't. He is the saviour of the whole world. He is someone worth following. He is someone not just of history, but he is someone who gives answers to the great questions 
of what it means to be human. What are the purposes of life? How best should I live? How best should one live a good life? And so Luke sets out to collect all the reference information that he can to paint this picture, both historically and theologically and philosophically, in the sense of what it means to live a good life about who Jesus is and why it is that we should be following him. And here in chapter 9 of Luke, we get what's known as a travel narrative. Best described, I think, in our terms as a travel guide. Has anybody on their bookshelf still got a copy of A Lonely Planet or a rough guide to Venezuela or somewhere interesting that you've traveled to? Travel does seem to be a thing of, of, of history at the moment, although some of us have recently traveled. My wife's recently got back from her trip to the UK. Anybody traveled in the last couple of months overseas? Very slowly, folks are venturing back out into the world. Those travel guides, the Lonely Planets, the Rough Guides, the National Geographic Traveller, there's a long history of writers who have essentially told stories of places others want to go to. And unlike folks like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, these are real places that you can actually visit. And so these writers visit places, make notes, draw maps, and even those early cartographers describing the, the different layouts, different geographies of places, letting people know what it would be like when you travel to this place. And certainly in our modern rough guide books, we have sections on accommodation and food, what you can expect, what to take in your bag, what clothes to pack, what vaccinations to have, what cautions to take. Information about transport, the sites and the views, the, the architecture. These travel guides are a great way to prepare for this travel, to anticipate what's going to happen. We go to the travel agent and we hand over the cash to buy the ticket to go to the place, but really the ticket is just that, a ticket to get there. We need to prepare ourselves it costs us money, but it'll also cost us in other ways as well. And so a travel guide can help us prepare. What's it going to cost me to go? What do I need to be aware of that I need to leave behind as I travel to that place? And this is indeed a travel section of Luke's Gospel. It's long and it's detailed. It starts with Jesus giving the disciples a commission to go ahead of him and prepare the towns and the places that he will then follow on behind them. They are to go and tell everyone about the kingdom of God in chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, with the most startling travel advice. I've never read this in a travel guide. Take nothing for your journey. No walking stick, no bag, no food, no money, no extra clothes. Whew. Who's sitting next to him on the plane on the way home? Some travel experience, this is going to be, thought the disciples. And it turned out to be just that. They witness the feeding of the 5,000. 
They witness, or some of them do, witness Jesus' transfiguration when he asks a few of them to journey with him up a mountain. And then they witness the healing of a disturbed young boy who is delivered of an evil spirit. And when they try a certain route through Samaria, the doors close. The, it's as though they get to the, the passport booth and, no, they've been rejected. They need to go another way. They're not welcome. There's no vacancy. Go home. Go another route. Quite an extraordinary little journey that they've been on with Jesus. In verse 10, in, sorry, verse 51, we read that Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. That's his destination. That's where he's going. Prior to that, he's been doing a circuit. He's been going round about a familiar circuit, going to the same sorts of places, uh, teaching and preaching and sending the disciples on ahead of him. But now he sets his mind resolutely for Jerusalem. And this travel narrative, it's quite long. Luke records extensive pieces of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' warnings, some of the arguments, some of the hostility, some of the people that they meet along the way. It could be understood that all of this teaching happens on the way to Jerusalem, but very likely it happened in the circuit as Jesus walked with his disciples around the areas of Galilee. And so we need to understand what Luke is doing. On the journey of following Jesus to Jerusalem, this is what it means to follow him. These are the teachings that he gives them. And this is an important tool in Luke's gospel. His account draws the reader in to join those others who are following following this extraordinary man who's doing extraordinary things and saying some very uncomfortable stuff, particularly Jesus' preference for the forgotten people, the people living on the margins or even beyond the margins of society. Jesus takes those who would follow him to places they would normally not go to. Jesus invites people to join, and Luke accentuates this invitation. He doesn't leave the reader passive, comfortable, sitting in, on their couch, thumbing through a travel guide, looking at the pretty pictures of the nice resort that they will stay at. No, Luke invites those who are reading into the story of those who are following. He repeatedly recalls Jesus inviting people to join in the journey highlighting the costs of traveling with him. Those who gather around Jesus are many, from various strata of society, of different wealth, of different means, of all sorts of different questions, different convictions, different arguments, different political perspectives. But those who travel with Jesus have to face and come to terms with three key decisions. Three things in this passage, Jesus says, you need to figure these three things out if you're going to follow me all the way to Jerusalem and beyond. We who know the end of the story, we know that Jerusalem is not the end of the story. In many ways, it's simply the beginning. 
In order to follow Jesus, there is a question of security, there is a question of attachment, and there is a question of approval. In verse 57, one person says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. He's asking his followers to think again about what makes them secure and what makes them comfortable, what makes them protected. It's the image of the home, the security, the safety, the comfort. And Jesus is pointing out to this person who says he'll go wherever, okay, you may follow me wherever I go, but know this that that journey will be uncomfortable. It will take you out of your comfort zone. It will ask questions about the things that you find and want to be secure about in your life. The commitment has a cost, and that cost is uncomfortable. As uncomfortable as not having anywhere to lay one's head. In verse 59, Jesus calls someone, come, follow me. But the person replies, yes, okay, sure, I will, but first let me return to bury my father. We in the West find this a little bit of an insult. It's a bit of a strange concept. It's like, surely that's a good thing to do. Actually, a cultural understanding of what Jesus is talking about is helpful to understand that actually Jesus' reply is better articulated as, sorry, the person's reply is better articulated as, I have an attachment to my father's house. And until he dies, that attachment remains. After which, I will be released to choose whom to attach to next. Jesus is asking his followers to consider the attachments within their society, those things that hold them accountable in their lives. Some of them are totally understandable. Some are expected. Some run counter to the purposes of God. Jesus is simply asking, have you reassessed the attachments in your life? In verse 61, another says to Jesus, I will follow you, but first I must Farewell, my family. Jesus replies, the plough hand looks ahead for the straight line, not backwards over his shoulder. And he's asking his followers to question where they get their approval from. To whom are they looking? Where are their eyes guided? And how are those places where their eyes fall influencing their choices, their decisions about where to plow and the straightness of the furrow. And these questions remain valid for us today. We may like the sound of Jesus. We may like some of his teachings. Some of his ideas might appeal to us. He might be a neat guy to hang around. We might be encouraged by some of the cool things that Jesus did, his kindness and his compassion. Even some of the folks who hang around Jesus aren't too bad. You could put up with them for a little while. 
But Luke doesn't allow for this passive option. To follow Jesus is not a spectator sport. To follow Jesus is to get off the seats and into the game. It's to put down the travel guide and enter into the culture into which he is inviting us. But rather, as people, we also need to be asking these questions and discussing and wrestling with these difficult ideas about our sense of security. Are we settlers or are we pilgrims? Do we watch the travel shows on the TV or do we actually travel? And what about our attachments? Are we tied to dead systems or bound to living ways of the kingdom of God? And what about our need for approval, a very human, a very normal need for approval? To whom do we look? Where do we get our validation from? How do we affirm the choices that we make? It's a very simple message, but it has profound implications to how then shall we live. And it's an invitation to all of us. It's an invitation that is still being placed before humanity today. Those who read the story are invited once again to wrestle with the questions of security, attachment, and approval. From my experience, as difficult as those questions are, to wrestle with them has been, with Jesus, has been the place of new life, the place of a renewed hope, the place of finding again my identity and my purpose, not in the success as the world would define it, not in the accumulation of things that could make me feel more secure, not by some elevation to status or standing. No, rather it is that sense of knowing whose I am in understanding who I am. And my encouragement to you is to consider these questions for yourself, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you have been walking with Jesus. If you're standing at the beginning of that journey, hear Jesus' call to engage with these questions. And he does it with gentleness, and he does it with humility, and he does it in a deep sense of wanting to hear your truth, your heartfelt answers, the things that you struggle with, the things that you wrestle with the most. We are all called to respond to these questions. Not giving an answer is still an answer. Let's pray. Almighty God, by your spirit would you move in our hearts as we wrestle with the questions of security and attachment, as we seek validity and affirmation in our lives. Would you speak to us and reveal once again your great heart of love for each and every one of us. May we know that love, deep and personal. And may our lives be so ordered to bring praise and glory to your name, even as we wrestle with these big questions of life.
If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.